Hi, everyone. We will not talk about how to get at the table. What we will talk about what you do after you get a seat at the table. Uh, and I think that's a very important conversation that is rarely addressed. And we have a guest today who will speak about her experiences. Hi, everyone. My name is Ellen Chen. I'm currently the general counsel at Hearth. Um, I've been there for about a year and a half. And, you know, Hearth is a fintech SaaS company that is offering financing solutions for small businesses. And I spent the bulk of my career in fintech, in capital markets, and in financial services. So I'm really excited to do this today. Tell me a little bit more about the path of getting there. Well, I consider myself having a relatively untraditional path. Um, you know, a lot of people transition from big law to in-house, and I actually started my career in a small to medium-sized law firm. And I actually um, slowly worked my way to partner. And then I transitioned in-house, knowing it's something that I've always wanted to do. And I think over the course of my career, I've taken on you know increasingly higher level roles in the corporate counsel, in-house counsel world to kind of slowly build myself up to you know the general counsel role. So because of all these experiences, I'm able to learn a lot and have a really breath, add a lot of breath to like my knowledge base. So about your uh, experience today at HARS, um, are you the one mighty general counsel or do you have a team? Uh, you know, I have a team and I'm actually slowly building out more of my team. Um, I have a VP of compliance that reports up to me as well as a product and marketing council. But as we kind of grow our platform, you know, we're building out more of our compliance function and we're certainly building out more, you know, area specific um you know, legal functions such as product counseling and just general corporate counsel and, you know, regulatory counsel roles. So you have a, a small and mighty army. Um, I love that. In our prior conversations, you described yourself as a lone Asian American leader. Uh, would love to understand kind of uh, why you feel that way. You know, it actually took me a long time to get to a point where I consider myself a leader. For a long time, you know, I was just like, kind of going with the flow. I'm just a member. I'm just, you know, one of many. But I realized as I progressed in my career, you know, it's really important to take on the leadership mentality because if you don't take on the leadership mentality, then you don't empower yourself to speak up. Um, and I've had moments where, you know, because I didn't felt like a leader, I didn't act like a leader. And I actually fell short of what my role or what my job expected me to be at that point. I started realizing, look, I'm taking on increasingly senior roles, increasingly more responsibility, and I need to act like it. I need to think like a leader. And it starts with empowering myself a little bit. I love that. Um, let's talk a little bit about the moments of not feeling as a leader. Give me some examples. And I guess, how did you maybe avoid? yourself out of those moments of not feeling it? Well, actually, I think there is a distinct moment. Um, it was when I was an associate general counsel and I was overseeing capital markets for a hedge fund. I was doing these deals and during the closing process, you know, I kind of had some objections over kind of how certain things were done. 
And I raised the issue with my outside counsel and they really dismissed me. And, you know, I kind of walked myself back and I kind of kept myself really quiet. But then upon self-reflection, I was like, wow, you know, I'm making some really good points. I'm standing up for the best benefit of my company. I think my points are valid to be dismissed like that. And I really led to a lot of um, self-introspection. And I realized the reason why they felt an like empowered to dismiss me was because I was not acting like a leader. I was going to them and I'm saying, well, what do you think? It's not about what they think. It's about, hey, this is what I think. This is what I believe. And here's the reasons for my belief. Here's the reasons for my statements. I should have been much more kind of upfront confident in my voice. And I think it would have yielded a better result for my company. And so this is when I realized I needed to really speak up and take on that leadership mentality. Very interesting. I like how you talk about the feeling and action and the bridge there sounds like some of it is at least communication. Yeah, very much so. Um, I think, you know, I take on the perspective that there is this bridge between our action and our feelings. And I think it's really important to be introspective about how you feel and then say, okay, what are some of the, what are some of the events that led me to how I feel? Do I want to feel this way? Yes or no. And if I don't want to feel this way, what are some of the actions I can take to prevent myself from feeling this way? I think it's all a feedback cycle. And I think it's really important to feed into both the action component and the feeling component. So what are other sort of pitfalls in communications, especially for women or uh, women of color um, that you've seen or personally have experienced? And then even more interestingly, um, how do you recommend uh, bridging them? I think the biggest pitfall um, as a woman and certainly as a minority woman is that we haven't been in the room that long. And when you do enter the room, you know, you have all these people who have worked together for a while, um, who are very familiar with each other. So you walk into the room and you already feel a little bit kind of like isolated sometimes, or you feel like you're the newcomer, right? So, um, and I think a lot of the pitfalls drives from both, you know, you being new to the table and also that you are a relatively different kind of face they're used to seeing at the table. So um, those are kind of what creates some of the pitfalls, in my opinion. And I think some of the strategies that really work is a couple things. Um, Really be kind of solution-oriented, very forward-footed. I think people respect that, especially in a legal counsel. Um, Come to the table with solutions that works for the business. Because once you have a couple of victories under your belt, small wins under your belt, people start really to perk up and listen, actually, and be like, wow, you know, she's the girl who came up with this idea in the past. Another thing is to exhibit humility. Look, these people who've been in the room, you know, and I speak very much from my experience, they've been working together for years sometimes before I come along and you know, join the leadership team. So they have all this history, they have all these contexts with each other and respect that. And by by being humble, you're able to respect that and sometimes, you know, not come off too strong. You know, ability to kind of take a breath and step back and say, okay, this is this is their relationship. These are the context. And I think thirdly, you know, it's just being um, being confident in what you say. 
I see a lot of leaders who say, oh, I think it, sh- it may be like this. It could be like this. But if you're very confident in what you're saying, it should be, okay, it's like this. And, you know, just how you communicate confers the amount of confidence you have in what you're saying. So I think that's really important. Let's take it apart because you've said quite a few things. Lonely in the crowded room is definitely a feeling that some of us have had. Um, and when you, you know, one, I, I agree with you, it helps to be introspective and self-reflective to even catch yourself in the moment and realize where you are. What is the self-talk when you catch yourself in that moment? Oh, that's a great question, Olga. You know, I'm, I'm the first to admit there are times when I catch myself and my first reaction is, what am I doing here? Um, I think we as women, and I certainly as a minority woman, sometimes say that to myself internally, like, what am I doing here? Like, do I belong? And I think it's really important, again, to dial into that and say, nope, nope, I've earned the right to be here. I'm here for a reason. And just mentally kind of block off those negative voices so that you can effectively think through, you know, what are your viewpoints? What are your perspective? What are your feedback to the general group? And what are your counsel, right? I mean, we're in-house counsel, we're general counsel. We're here to give advice. You know, being confident in your own advice has a huge impact on how that is being received. So a lot of it is just blocking out the self-negative voice in many ways. And everything else just kind of flows organically downstream from that. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, because I caught myself in the moments like that. And it's, 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 this is how you talk to yourself. And, and I love your idea of, hey, you know, I'm already here. They actually invited me here. So they already made a decision for me that I have something mm-hmm. to add on this topic. I don't have to think about it. That has been decided. Let's move forward with that. Consciously catching yourself in those moments and uh, working through them makes you definitely a much stronger professional. The other things you mentioned, you know, a few a few suggestions, including sort of, you know, being humble, humility, and confidence. And projecting the two at the same time is a little bit of a challenge. So I'm just curious when you thinking through that and trying to balance, you know, because, you know, a lot of confidence can come across, especially in women in a certain way. And a lot of humility also can come across a certain way. So that balancing act between humility and confidence, you know, um, is actually challenging. Oh, no, absolutely. And I think that's a great question. It's something that I think through a lot uh, when I'm in that room, right? Um, And I think all great leaders need to balance humility with confidence. It's not just a me thing. It's not just, um, you know, white or Caucasian general counsel thing. It's a every leader has to balance that. And I think, you know, there's a couple strategies that I think helps me balance it. Um, When I say humility, I think there's a lot of little ways that exhibit both humility and confidence. One of the examples that I have is effective listening. When you are a good listener, it shows humility in the sense that you're actively listening to the other side's perspective or listening to the other side's needs. And I think that shows humility as a leader, but it also shows confidence. You're confident in what you're saying, what you believe. Therefore, you're affording the other side to make their case. I find effective listening to be really great. I also think prefacing your um, kind of feedback to the other side with, okay, thank you for highlighting this fact, but you know, have you considered X, Y, Z? I think by acknowledging the other side, you are exhibiting humility, 
without sacrificing the ability to make your own kind of opinions or opinions or knowledge base known, right? So I think there's a strategy in communication where, you know, you can straddle that fine line. And those are some of the things that I have really, uh, it has really worked well for me. And the final and most important thing is actually listening with the, acknowledging positive intent in the communication, actually. When you can say, you know, you make a great point and I know you come from a great place and thank you for sharing that with me. But here is how I see it. When you acknowledge positive intent, it goes a long way towards making the other side more amenable to what you're saying and actually makes you a very confident leader to say, you know, I know you're coming from a good place. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, you know, all, you know, all the humility and confidence is great. But what you ultimately want to get to productive conversation, because um, at some point, substance matters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and hopefully that's really the only thing that matters in the end. Tell me kind of how do you make sure you, you know, despite all that noise, whether it's in your head or, or you know, outside, how do you make sure you ultimately get to the productive conversation and actually you know, do your job? I think it comes with a couple of really important things. Um, you know, always be open for learning. Um, always be open-minded and solution-oriented. Because I feel like, you know, it's very easy to talk on a high level. And I actually am going to use a concrete example. Examples are, I would love, thank you for that. That would be great. <laughs> One of my favorite aspects of job, my job is to actually provide a product counseling to a product team. It really is. It's one of the most enjoyable aspect of my um, role. The reason why I enjoy it so much is because you do have to be very firm on, hey, I am the subject matter expert on the regulations that govern this product, right? You have to be very firm about what the requirements of the products are to a degree. But at the same time, in order to have a successful collaboration with a product team, you actually have to... Um, really understand where they're coming from. So it forces you into this intricate dance of compromise and negotiation and figuring out what the risk tolerance is. Is it How do you scale the risk tolerance? And it all really boils back down to you have two sides who are trying to get to a compromise, who are both very strong subject matter experts, right? I'm the subject matter expert from a legal perspective, but the product team is a subject matter expert from the product perspective. How do you get your voice heard when the other side is just as knowledgeable and just as you know valuable to the process as you are? And I think it starts with always understanding where we're trying to go. What does success look like? And then being very solution-oriented towards what success looks like. The first question I ask my product team is, what does a successful version one looks like? What does a successful beta looks like? Okay, and then let's back into this should be the risk tolerance given the scope of the beta. And this is the minimum legal requirements that the beta has to have. And then these are the, you know, the optionals as we scale. And this is how we build in the optional functionalities that make, you know, uh, the product more compliant in the long term as that product moves beyond the beta testing or version one. So I think, you know, it's just being a subject matter expert, but being very solution oriented helps create a lot of credibility to what you're saying. Oh, my God. I just had a deja vu of my product conversations. Yelena, you and I have in common, having had many product conversations. I'm a tech lawyer by design uh, who have advised many, many numerous product people in all kinds of walks of life. Some of the 
you know, vigorous disagreements um, with a very intelligent other side. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're on the same side, but we're disagreeing, but we're on the same side. I really like the way you think uh, the sort of the beta, the version one, this is gold. Um, anyone who is listening, uh, either thinking about product counseling or starting or pivoting or just for general knowledge, that is the approach that, that works. And uh, Yulin just saved you, I don't know, five, seven years of head banging, uh, which is not pleasant. Um, but I'll push you a little bit further because um, great approach. And what if you still get pushed back? It depends on what it is. And I know that's a very legal answer. You know, my product team says, we're not doing this. And I'm, I'm telling them, look, this is a minimum legal requirement. This is what it takes for the product to be compliant under the law. Then, you know, at that point, you just have to say, this product can't go to market. Bottom line, this product cannot go to market. And you have to have the confidence to say that. And you have to be clear about why, in what ways it's not compliant and what ways it cannot go to market. Now, if it's something that's more in the gray, where it's like, okay, it's a reputational risk, it's a um, possible liability, increases our liability profile, then you really kind of have to think through, you know, is this within a risk tolerance profile? And uh, if it is, then I think sometimes you just, this is part of humility, right? Is to say, you know what? Okay, I understand where you're coming from. Ultimately, the business team has made its risk tolerance kind of decision on this. It's within it within this framework, therefore, I have to accept that. I'm walking away getting a little bit less of what I'd like today. Uh, also, empathy matters. Mm -hmm. and, um, and empathy is an important part of this conversation, say, in the con con context of product counseling. Um, how, what are your strategies for being kind of a more empathetic communicator? Oh, there's so many ways to become much more empathetic communicator. Um, I actually have a great relationship with my senior vice president of product. And I think it's because we're both relatively empathetic individuals, but um, our kind of interaction really shows a lot of empathy. First is, this is more applicable to remote work, is actually when you are in a Zoom call, you know, a lot of people like to just get right to it. Here's the agenda, let's dive into it. And I actually take an opposite approach. I take that two to five minutes and say, how's your day going? No, no, seriously, how are you actually doing today? Like, how are you feeling? How are your kids? You know, hey, I heard about this from last time. How did that go for you? And I think by acknowledging the humanity, you're showing that empathy for the other side and they appreciate it. They remember it and they appreciate it. Another way to really show empathy for the other side is saying, look, you know, I know you're coming from a good place. Again, it's the knowing the conversation has positive intent. I think if you start there and knowing that the other side has really good intent, you know, it's easy for your empathy to come across. It's easy for the other side to say, okay, she's trying to be an empathetic person. She's not kind of misinterpreting where I'm coming from. So it's all kind of related together, right? And I think another piece of empathy is saying, is acknowledging the other side's point of being like, look, I get the pain point. I know this OKR is hard to hit. So you know, I know you have to use some aggressive strategies here, but let's work together to find some aggressive strategies that has worked, or you know, I think will work based on you know my perspective of the product. So acknowledging the tough points that the other person has to go through. I love it. I'm gonna move away from the product conversation. We can talk about it all day, and I want to talk a little bit more about 
the seat at the table and pro probably the sort of struggles there. And especially from a perspective of a woman or a perspective of a minority woman, um, would love to hear more about those experiences. I would have to say overall, my experiences um, have been very, very positive. I think my my fellow, you know, other people at the table have been very welcoming. But I think some of, you know, and I really enjoyed my time, you know, being able to say, this is what I think, this is what I believe. But I also think, you know, there are some real struggles, especially when you are, you know, in the minority as a female and as a person of color, you know, it just, there is certain things that, you know, maybe the other side can't get. And I actually have a great example. Um, I recently went on this leadership retreat um, and it was a great time. I really enjoyed seeing everyone, but you know, um, some of our events was go-karting and ski shooting. <laughs> and I think, you know, um, while I enjoy doing both activity, it was, it was a reflection of sometimes what you experience by being in a, in a room as someone who, you know, in a room that's dominated sometimes by guys, right? <laughs> I mean, do you mean like go-karting is not your default experience of choice? <laughs> I mean, I felt a little like odd in the sense that everyone else has a lot of like go-karting experience and I'm just like, well, I guess I'm going my usual 25 miles an hour. This is what I'm comfortable with. Or, you know, it just, it's a reflection of like, you know, they're not even thinking about that. They're not even thinking, oh, it's go-karting. How would that make her feel? It's well, it's a great time. We've done it a million times in the past. So let's do it again. Or skeet shooting. We've done it a bunch of times. Let's do it again. Right. And so that is kind of like the challenge that sometimes you um, come across is like, well, you know, we do this in the past before she came into the room. So let's keep doing it. And, you know, so I think. Hey, Elin, I was invited to X throwing. So go-karting sounds like a totally mild activity, you know, X-throwing was definitely outside of my comfort zone. But yes, I can definitely understand that. <laughs> exactly. I mean, so I was like, and I think the way to navigate that a little bit is at least the way I try to bridge the gap is by going, you know what, let's have some fun. Let's see what I could do with my, let's see how many little like clay rabbits I could hit with ski shooting, you know, even though I'm, I'm not a big user of guns. Um, <laughs> let, let's see how fast I could go on the track without, you know, feeling uncomfortable. Like, let's just see, let's just see where the moment takes me. Um, but I think it's just a great anecdote about, you know, um, some of the things, it's a really lighthearted illustration of some of the bigger issues you may encounter, right? How did it go? <laughs> It actually went well. Um, you know, I'm definitely the slowest person. Everyone was passing me on the go-kart track. Um, it was a little embarrassing, you know. Um, but uh, ski shooting, I actually enjoyed it. I actually hit quite a few targets. And they were like, well, for great time, great for a first timer. And I was like, thanks. I'm just excellent at everything I do. But thanks, you notice now. <laughs> um, I love it. Those are great examples. Uh, do you have any external resources that you would recommend? Or any of the things that we discussed from, you know, from humility to confidence, to self-talk, to empathy, to uh, getting to productive conversations, any of that. Do you have a favorite external resource that you love? One of the best ways to handle some of the more unknown situations or getting kind of um, perspective is through mentorship. 
And one of the favorite resources I love is called this program forum called Tech GC. Um, a lot of people in the Bay Area has it. And I think, you know, they're just, it's a community of fintech general counsels who get together and exchange ideas, share what works, you know, exchange resources on outside counsel, anything from outside counsel all the way through like a really nuanced piece of the law. And um, I've actually built quite a few mentoring relationships within that community. And I think having a community of people who are similar to you, who may have similar experiences, help dispel some of the loneliness, some of the uncertainty, and um, some of the self-doubt, because when you realize, oh, other people go through it too, I'm not the only one, it, it makes your experience, it validates your experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes uniqueness is good and sometimes uniqueness is lonely. Um, and I, I agree with you that the best part about, you know, practicing law is the community of like-minded people who historically have helped each other out and, and mentorship is sort of an apprenticeship whether it's formal or informal, it's sort of built in in the practice. And so people sort of naturally do it uh, organically. And uh, I, for me, uh, when I was a general counsel or when I was kind of striving to become one, that was really key. Uh, and, and, and that's one of the many reasons why I drove about Bay, Bay Area and met as many general counsel as possible. Um, and many people have been super generous with their time, with their resources, with their connections. Uh, with their knowledge. Uh, and to this day, those are some of the best relationships I've built. Um, and they really propel you forward at every stage of your career. So that, that's a fantastic advice. And I've definitely experienced the, the bounty of it. I guess we're coming to the end. Um, and, um, you know, I, I love kind of the ideas you share uh, about, um, you know, being effective after you get to the table. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I, what I want to talk maybe as a last question is about thought leadership. I mean, many people use it in the context of thought leadership externally, right? You know, things you do on LinkedIn, articles you publish, talks you give. But, you know, there is an internal element to, to thought leadership. And a lot of it has to do with your ability to have a good experience after you get to the table. Um, and I uh, was wondering if you kind of have thoughts or structure or framework um, to approach that art of influence and art of being a thought leader in your subject matter when you have a very finite audience of, I don't know, 35 to 20 to 150 um, and effectively leading them on a narrow subject matter of, say, laws and regulations and how those impact your business. I think that's a great question, Olga. Um, it's something that I think every in-house counsel has to think through and sometimes struggle with. But in terms of how I do it, I find some, there are several strategies that allows me to become a thought leader. First is really build strong personal relationships. It's not just with people above you. It's really important if you're a general counsel reporting up to the CEO that you have a very, very strong relationship with him. Um, but it's also lateraling across, building relationships with every, uh, the cross-functional leaders that are also at the table. And then from there, you know, also build strong relationships with people underneath you and who are underneath the other, you know, cross-functional business leaders as well. Um, because in order for people to listen to you, it starts with they have to want to listen to you. If they don't like you, if they don't 
want to hear from you, no matter what you say, and no matter how effectively you say it, no matter how true what you say is, they will tune it out. It's kind of really simple, but kind no, of really it's really true. It's really true. People may not know if you're a good lawyer because you're a subject matter expert, but they will definitely know if you're a bad person they don't like. They just know it. <laughs> that is obvious to them. They spend the last 20, 30, 50, 60 years liking or disliking somebody. So that is a very easy decision. Whether you're a good lawyer, that, that that's something that is much harder for them to judge. Exactly. But they'll judge really quickly if they like you or not, right? And um, and look, you know, so I think it's, that starts with that, having great relationships so that people are capable of listening to what you're saying and processing what you're saying. And, you know, and I think lawyers have some bad habits. I've seen this across, you know, some of the, one of the biggest habits is lawyers love to win arguments. I mean, I've seen it in a lot of inside house in-house counsels who transition from the big laws. They're just so argumentative and they're so like, I am right. And it turns people off no matter how correct they are. And they're actually correct a lot of the times. People already like tune them out. They're already like, no, I'm done. Mm -mm. I'm not listening to this one, you know? And so building strong relationships, but also how you communicate. Don't be argumentative. Acknowledge the other side. Again, all of this ties together with also the concept of humility, right? Someone who is super argumentative isn't going to come off as a super confident thought leader. I mean, like if we look at some of the most, you know, famous thought leaders of our time, Bill Gates is not sitting there arguing his point. He's just sitting there stating his point and allow, saying this is how science backs it up. It's a very, it's a different demeanor. And I think lawyers have to acknowledge that there is a, there is a certain demeanor that works a little better with the general public. Uh, we had a fantastic conversation, Elon. I, I want to thank you so much for joining me and, and the audience and, and sharing your insights and frameworks and approaches. Um, and uh, very helpful. So thank you so much. Thank you, Olga, for having me. I really appreciate you giving me a forum. And it's always been a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, great. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining. We'll be back next week with even more important conversations for those of us who practice in the house. Um, it is, we'll, we have a really great guest coming up. And with that, um, have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy your time. And we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone.